Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. We're going to start in John chapter 6 and verse 35. John 6 verse 35. And I've got to read, um, oh, about 35 verses or so. So just kind of sit tight. If I rush through anything, it won't be God's Word. It'll be the stuff that I came up with. So this is God's Word, John 6.35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? 
you have the words of eternal life. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Last summer, my wife and I uh, celebrated our 15-year anniversary. We just had our 16th. But for our 15th anniversary, we had, uh, we had saved up enough air miles to go to Hawaii. So we had free plane tickets to uh, Maui, and we went to Maui, and we saw the ocean and the mountains. It was just absolutely gorgeous. And what's strange to say is uh, one of the highlights of our trip was this magic show we went to. And uh, you have to book, I don't know if you, anybody's ever been to this magic show on Maui, but if you go, you have to book it like two months in advance because it's sold out and it's this great magic show. And anyway, we go to this thing one night after dinner, and uh, when you go in, it's all spooky, and, and uh, they say, hello, your reservations, blah, blah, and uh, they hand you a lantern. And then they send you into this little room, and they shut the door behind you, and you're in this pitch black room with a lantern, and I mean, it's like a little closet, and you're in there going, <laughs> strange. And uh, so you look around the room, and there are these clues, and you have to figure out the clues, and it's dark, and finally you figure out you've got to stick a key in a spot. And once you figure it out, after a few minutes in the dark with your lantern, uh, the, the wall opens, and you're in this room with people just like this. It's, it looks like this, so it's kind of a lounge, and there's people eating, and there's a piano playing, and it's, it's just this really, and everybody's looking at you, and they go, hey! And you go, oh! And so it's, it's just very interesting. You're in the dark. Uh, you don't really know what's going on. It's hard to comprehend. And uh, finally, uh, you, you realize something, and the wall opens, and the people who had gone through what you went through before uh, cheer you on. And I think that, that the kingdom of God is a lot like that. You know, somebody's in the dark, and they don't really know what's going on, and they're, they're, they don't really have a grasp on it, and it's hard to figure it all out, and then, then something happens. Something happens spiritually, and the door is flung open, and uh, the people who have gone through what you've gone through before receive you with great rejoicing. Well, this is, this is uh, one of the hard sayings of Jesus, and this, this whole hard saying series was actually a brainchild of um, Jeff Sample. Uh, he decided that we would have a good series for the summer, and, and uh, we had a, a staff meeting, and this just really seemed like a good plan. And so uh, we, we basically used uh, a, a fairly famous book uh, by F.F. F. Bruce. It was written in 1983 called The Hard Sayings of Jesus. And uh, we kind of used this as a guide, and we all kind of pick, picked something to do and, and all that. And um, uh, anyway, I, I tell you that because the, this book has 70 different chapters. They're all one or two pages. I mean, it, it, you definitely can't uh, plagiarize it and let it write your sermon for you. But um, anyway, uh, it, it's, it is helpful. And, but what I found so interesting, and the reason I'm waving it around, is that... Um, Chapter 1, page 1, is about this passage. <laughs> and uh, it's not hard to see why. I mean, in, in, uh, in verse 53, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink uh, his blood, you have no life in you. I'd say that's a hard saying. In fact, you could almost say that that's the, this is the original hard saying uh, because, uh, and this is where they got the title of the book. Oh, if you jump, jump down, down a little bit, it says... Um, uh, on hearing it, many of his disciples in verse 60 say, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? In fact, let me read you a couple other uh, translations of that. Uh, some, uh, two translations, English Standard Version and New American Standard, right? Who can listen to it? It's hard. Who can listen to it? And another version says, uh, this is intolerable language. How could anyone accept it? Well, the question is, why is it so hard? And why is it... Chapter 1, 
uh, right off the bat in this book called Hard Sayings. Well, let's start with what it's not. Um, This saying is not hard because it's complicated. Not hard because it's all complicated. Um, uh, And... and and it can be complicated. In fact, I'll, I'll tell you that in a minute. Um, it's been translated passionately, interpreted passionately in a variety of ways. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. But it's not hard because it's complicated. You know, in verse 66, look at it. It says, from this time, many of Jesus' disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You get that? They, there was, these, are, these are not necessarily believing disciples, but they're, they, they're thousands of people that are following Jesus around. They hear this hard saying and they turn around and they follow him no more. They didn't leave because it was complicated. They didn't leave because he was a little ahead of his time. They didn't leave because it was too theologically deep and, uh, and uh, wasn't seeker-friendly enough. They, that's not why they left. There was something about that, something about what is being said by Jesus that made them categorically turn around and follow him no more. Let me tell you what makes it hard, a hard saying from a teaching perspective. You dig into this passage and it's hard because you don't know how far to back up. I mean, you want to view this in context. You can't just cut a Bible verse out of context and say, I'm going to teach on that, just that, not look at anything around it and make this say, I'm going to wrestle it down and make it say what I want. can't do that. You have to look at it in context. And so you back up uh, from verse 53 and you go, okay, well, let's see here. Um, verse 52 says, then the Jews began to argue sharply. And we go, well, you've got to look at what came before that because uh, you've got to tie that in. And then you back it up even to where we are, verse 35. And it says, then Jesus declared, I'm the bread of life. Well, we want to know what came before then, right? So you, you just keep backing it up and backing it up. And you wonder if you should start in chapter 1, verse 1. But for our, for our purposes here uh, tonight, let me just tell you what just happened. Okay? In chapter 6, here's what just happened. Jesus fed 5,000 people. That just happened. He fed 5,000 people. In fact, if you look at uh, chapter 6, verse uh, 5, uh, this is just so cool. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, this is just great. Look at verse 6. He asked this only to test Philip, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Okay, so Jesus goes, oh, Philip, uh, is there like a nice, I don't know, uh, Jewish bakery around here somewhere, like a huge one uh, that could feed 5,000 people. Uh, and Philip goes, what? I mean, his answer is, Philip goes, eight months wages couldn't buy enough bread for each, guy, each person to have one bite. Well, Jesus, of course, knows this. And, uh, and uh, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, speaks up. He goes, here's a boy with five small loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go? And, well, Jesus takes that. He feeds 5,000 people, and they collect up 12 basketfuls which is pretty amazing because who sees particularly the 12 basketfuls? Well, the disciples do. They see what they start with, and then they got 12 basketfuls afterward. I mean, this is a pretty, pretty big thing. And so that's what just happened. And, uh, of course, the uh, disciples set out across the water, and they, they're going to cross overnight, and there's a big storm, and that's when Jesus walks on the water. And um, uh, the next morning, the people, fig- they wake up, they figure out that Jesus and his disciples aren't there, and they go looking for him, and they figure out they're in Capernaum. So they go over to Capernaum, and they approach Jesus, and they say in verse 25, they found Jesus on the other side of the lake. They say, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, Jesus gives a most curious answer to that question. I mean, they're, they're just, I mean, you've got these people swarming. I mean, I mean, 5,000 people, just for 5,000 people. So this big mob finds him, they approach him, and they go, where were you? Where, when did you get here? And Jesus answers, 
uh, in a very strange way. In verse 26, he says, I tell you the truth. You're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. He's going, hey, you liked the food, didn't you? That was, it was good, wasn't it? That's why you're looking for me. Um, but then he goes on to say in verse 27, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, which Jesus always called, he called himself the Son of Man, will give you. On him, God the Father has placed the seal of his approval. So basically, Jesus is saying, I got eternal life to give. And not only that, God the Father has put a stamp of approval on me, and I'm the one who, I'm the giver of eternal life. Now, that's a huge statement, ladies and gentlemen. And then he goes on to say, uh, in, uh, in verse uh, 31, uh, they say, um, Our forefathers ate manna in the desert. Um, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you the manna. Oh, yeah, God used Moses and all that stuff. But Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven. God gave you the bread from heaven. And now there's a true bread from heaven. And in verse 33, it says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And Jesus is talking about himself. He's making a huge, sta- a huge salvific statement. And in verse 34, and I'm paraphrasing here, they go, yeah, Give us some of that. You, if that's what you got, give us some of that. Well, now, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for bearing with that. You are up to speed. Now you have a context. You have some kind of framework in which to view this, this hard saying. Uh, and now we're to our first point, which is the bread of life satisfies. Let's look at verse 35. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, brothers and sisters, we tend to read that, I'm the bread of life, and it's, it's, very, we, it's easy to speed right over that because that kind of talk is, is common to us, isn't it? I mean, we, if you've grown up in church or if you've been around the kingdom for any length of time, you know that Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. You know that Jesus says, I am the door, and that Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and Jesus says, um, I am the, uh, the vine. And you know that uh, when Jesus, in Mark's account, when Jesus walks across the water and they're they're scared from the storm, he says, don't be afraid, it is I. And when Jesus is on trial at the high priest's house, in fact, let me whip to it real quick. When Jesus is on trial at the high priest's house, um, the high priest says, um, uh, uh, he says, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus says, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven, and the high priest tears his clothes. He says, that's blasphemy. They condemn it worthy of death, and indeed it would be blasphemy if it weren't true. But it's true. But anyway, I say that to say we're used to uh, these kinds of statements where Jesus says, I am this, I am that, and we read, I am the bread of life, and we think, oh, that's just wonderful. Amen, you know. But, folks, uh, this is a phenomenal statement made by Jesus. For him to say, I am the bread of life, is a huge statement. Um, the, the quieting of hunger and the quenching of thirst had, had long been images of salvation and fulfillment. If these people knew their Bible, which they did, they knew that these were, these were big salvation, uh, rescue, fulfillment kinds of statements. I'd like you to turn, if you would, to Isaiah uh, 55. If you just go to the center of your Bible and hang a, a quick right. And I will go to another place for just a second and meet you there. Isaiah 55, 1 and 2 for you. And I want to read you one verse from, uh, a couple of verses from, a few, from Proverbs 9. Listen to this. Wisdom has built her house. 
Wisdom's hewn out its seven pillars. Okay, pretty magnificent uh, house. Uh, she, she, Wisdom, has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has set out her table. She sent out her maids and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come in here, she says to those who lack judgment. Come, eat my food, drink the wine I've mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live, walk in the way of understanding. I mean, you can see that that, that, that eating, drinking uh, uh, motif is a, is, a, is a powerful one. And it would have been powerful to the hearers in Jesus' day. Now uh, to Isaiah 55 here. Um, uh, verses 1 and 2. Um, come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Wow, buy with no money? Yeah, come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen. Listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul uh, may live. And, and uh, it goes on. But uh, folks, that, um, that and the way God provided manna in the wilderness were, were very, they were, they were very prominent. They were, they were, uh, it was a, they were robustly uh, embedded ideas in, in Hebrew thought. So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, it's not just, oh, isn't that interesting? That's really, that's really curious the way he said that. There's all kinds of, of wonderful freight that goes along with that. And they don't, miss the, they don't miss the import of this. And so I say all that to say, friends, that it's already clear how we're supposed to interpret, at least to a point, Jesus eating, uh, uh, eating Jesus' flesh as the true food and drinking his uh, blood as the true drink. We have a context. It's a, it's a salvation context because the satisfaction uh, that, uh, uh, of hunger and thirst has long been uh, uh, linked with deliverance and covenant and fulfillment in the Old Testament and in Hebrew thought. Well, that brings me to the hard part of this hard saying. And it's really, in my opinion, only hard because we, man, has uh, made it hard. Um, I want to ask you a couple questions. What uh, words of Jesus... Do preachers quote uh, when they break the bread and they're about to pass it, pass it around for communion? What do they say? What's that? This is my body broken for you and then what? Do this in remembrance. Yeah, take, do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance of me. Okay, so that's an important part of communion, isn't it? I mean, indeed, every time we take communion, we remember Christ's work. We remember this great salvation. We remember that we were sinners and, and that we had fallen short of the glory of God. We remember that God's wrath was poured out on another. We remember these things, right? We do this in remembrance. But it, it goes beyond just remembrance. What else do we, what do we call it when you drive to church and it's the second Sunday of the month and you say, oh, it's blank Sunday? Communion Sunday. Why do we call it Communion Sunday? What is it when we commune? When I commune with you, I am present with you. I am fellowshipping with you. And so when we take communion, we remember this great salvation. We remember the gospel message. We remember the glory of it. We remember God's saving plan. But we also uh, enjoy presence with Christ, spiritual presence, right? Now, I say that because of this. Um, who in this room has never heard the word transubstantiation? Who's never heard the word trans- Really, honestly, raise your hand if you've never heard the word transubstantiation. Who has? Okay, I'm proud of you because I thought I, some of you guys were faking. Um, but uh, trans, if you've never heard of transubstantiation, I'm about to blow your mind. 
This is a belief taught by the Roman Catholic Church, uh, by the Orthodox Church, by some not all Anglican, by some not all Episcopalian. And the belief is that when you partake of the Lord's Supper and you put it in your mouth and you masticate and you swallow, it it then literally, actually changes into the body of the Lord Jesus. Muscle, meat, human tissue. When you take of the cup and you drink it, it turns into, actually turns into Christ's blood. Who's, whose mind is blown by that? Weird, weird stuff, isn't it? Uh, now, ladies and gentlemen, um, look up. I talk about the Lord's Supper here, um, but here's what I really want to say. This passage, in my opinion, is not about the Lord's Supper. Now, it's used to support the Lord's Supper, particularly if you hold to, uh, to uh, those, uh, those other viewpoints. But, but let me tell you why I don't think it's part of, it has anything to do with the Lord's Supper. I'm not saying that it can't be applied to the Lord's Supper, but uh, I don't think it's specifically about the Lord's Supper. And here's why. When Jesus says these things, it's a, it's a year away from instituting the Lord's Supper. It's a year away. And some people go, oh, yeah, well, John, you know, he doesn't, he's, the, he's the one gospel writer who doesn't uh, uh, include the institution of the Lord's Supper. And this is his way of doing it a little bit early, and it all kind of fits together. And, and I understand that. I do. But uh, Jesus hasn't instituted it yet. Okay? That's problem number one. Now, in, in regard to transubstantiation, um, not only is it pretty wacky sounding, uh, but it, it hardly seems to go in accord with the character of our God, does it? It really doesn't really go well with Levitical law, does it? And technically, it's cannibalism, eating another human being. I mean, Jesus was fully God and fully man. You're talking about a human body and blood. How about this? Um, The Lord's Supper was instituted for whom? Believers. This crowd wasn't all believers. A huge percentage of them turned around and followed Christ no more. He, he, he's, he, it's not like the Lord's Supper where he's saying, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then here's the last one. This is a biggie. This is the reason I don't, I don't think that this regards the Lord's Supper. Um, the Lord's Supper doesn't produce life, does it? I mean, don't, don't people, aren't there people who, you know, the, the, the uh, elements come by and they're embarrassed and they go, I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't care what the preacher said. And they take the Lord's Supper and they don't know Christ as their personal Savior. They don't know what the gospel is. They haven't received the Lord, but they partake anyway. Aren't there people that do that? That doesn't earn you points. That doesn't make you saved. It doesn't produce life. But what's Jesus saying here in verse 33? He says, um, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives Life produces life. That's a big point, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus is saying, receive. Receive the bread of life. He's talking about the salvation that He gives. He's not talking about something uh, uh, exclusively for believers uh, like the Lord's Supper. And, um, you know, the Lord's Supper doesn't have uh, brownie points. You uh, You don't earn your way into the kingdom by installment or by the number of masses you attend in your lifetime, or the number of times you partake in communion. It doesn't work that way. Let me tell you the way it works. Here's a gospel message for you. This is a uh, rather engaging uh, translation of uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Listen. God saved you by His special favor when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Okay, so God saved you by a special favor. When you believe, you can't take credit for that. Not any of it. 
Certainly can't take credit for a special favor. We know that. But you can't take credit for the belief either. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. That's the gospel message. And uh, if you want an application for your life, well, here, here it is on this point. The bread of life satisfies you because it addresses the deepest needs of your soul. It gives you an answer. You know, you, you look at this world and you look at the war and you look at the pain and you look at the hatred. And, you know, I was talking to somebody, actually one of the elders of our church, who's actually not in this room right now, but he was saying, you know, that as you age and, and you delve into more areas of life, you know, areas you didn't, you didn't think of before, like uh, the, the legal system or uh, the political system or uh, avenues down business or uh, government or uh, just relationships and family and children, all those things, the deeper you get into them and the more layers peel back with, the, with just, just the years of wisdom that, that come from age, you start to go, oh, my goodness. I mean, the more you look at it, the, the more you realize the world's affected, 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 just deep in every single facet, in every single corner since touched it. Well, how do you manage that? How do you manage the pain? How do you manage the loss of life? How do you manage shame on your heart? How do you manage grief? How? The gospel message is the answer. The bread of life satisfies the deepest needs of our souls and our existences. Our second point, the bread of life is a person. And that's a a wonderful thought, isn't it? Not some little system, not uh, something that Tom Cruise is peddling or anybody else, Oprah, anybody, uh, Ricky Bobby, nobody. Um, uh, the, the, The bread of life is a person. Look at verse 35. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Me. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Look down at verse 47. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Jesus is not uh, unclear about who he is and what he came to do. Um, And he's not acting alone. He's not acting alone. Uh, He's also not some uh, nice chap that got caught up in some, uh, you know, uh, some momentum uh, produced by the Jerusalem tabloids or, or, you know, he just didn't get propelled to fame and, oh, my goodness, look at me. I've got a platform now. That's not him. He knew what he came to do and he wasn't alone. Uh, Look at verse 27, if you would. Uh, Jesus says, don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, he's saying me, Jesus, you know, you hear me call myself Son of Man all the time, eternal life, I'll give it to you. On him, on me, Jesus is saying, God the Father has placed a seal of of approval. So what do you have represented here in in the gospel? You've got God the Father represented. You've got God the Son represented. Uh, Look at verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Look at verse 40. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. By the way, that's an encouraging chorus, isn't it? I think it happens four times. I will raise him up on the last day. I'll raise him up on the last day. That's, that's an eternal hope, brethren. Um, but look at verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. 
Now, men and women, I don't know what you do with that except to embrace the fact that the Holy Ghost is involved in salvation. Is that unclear to you? Um, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. What is that? What is that but the Holy Ghost's involvement in salvation? So what do you see? You see God the Father. You see God the Son. You see God the Holy Ghost involved in this work of salvation. The three persons of the Trinity personally involved in you. Uh, in, in, uh, personally involved in you personally. And here's an application for you. And uh, the gospel message. I mean you. We're personally guilty. Personally. And God's wrath was personally pointed in your direction. He, he personally was going to judge you. Had every right to do it. But He sends Christ. Don't we say, have you received Christ as your personal Savior? Why do we say that? Because He took the penalty personally. He took your penalty, sinner, on the cross personally. And God poured the wrath that was personally yours personally on the Savior so that you would be personally found righteous because of Christ's righteousness. And then what? You're drawn into a personal relationship with the living God. Does it matter to you then that the bread of life is a person? whole gospel sewn up in it. Next point. The bread of life is hard to swallow. Um, Look at verse 52. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They're arguing among themselves. Now, I don't think this is point-counterpoint. I don't think you have one side of signs over here and another side of signs over there. I think they're arguing like they're reasoning. uh, they're, They're wrangling Uh, over what they're hearing. They're wrestling with it. They say, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? How can it be? Uh, Verse 60, on hearing it, many of disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And verse 66, of course, as I pointed out, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You know, um, I I, I always find it so... so, uh, uh, just, just people's responses. I find it so interesting uh, when I tell them that my wife is full-blooded Cherokee. Of course, it's not true. But I'm always impressed with the way people respond to that. Um, because what happens is I, I tell that to a room full of people and they go, Wow, Cherokee. You know, Cherokee people. And they think, I've never known a Cherokee. I don't think I really have. And then full-blooded. What a powerful statement. Full-blooded Cherokee. That's awesome. And then the next thing they do is they turn around and they look for my wife. And they start looking for her and they find her. And they're like, she's pretty fair-skinned and kind of has the classic English frame. Uh, Doesn't look like a Cherokee. A little hard to accept. Especially coming from me. Well, what I want to point out to you here is that uh, Jesus delivers something to them that is hard to accept. It's hard to accept. In verse 52, Jews began to argue sharply. They say, how can this be? How can this be? But what Jesus does throughout the whole discourse is he turns up the burner on the stove. He never backs away and goes, oh, I know that, that was a little difficult. <laughs> that was a little strange. I know, I know. But let's get back to our theater seats. And I've got some wonderful multimedia to show you. Uh, and... Uh, some, some fragrances for the vents. You know, he doesn't do that. He just turns up the burner. And, uh, 
you know, how can this be? How can this man? They're arguing amongst themselves. And what does Jesus say? Verse 53, he says, I'll tell you the truth. You didn't like that? Let me give you something else. Um, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. My flesh is real food. My blood is real drink. Well, he's just blowing their minds. He's not making it easier. He's making it harder. He's saying, without me, without me, without me, without me intensely, without me entirely, you got nothing. You have no life. And it gets harder and harder. And, of course, um, rather, than, uh, rather than softening it, um, from that point on, many of his disciples turned back and followed Christ no more. I'll close with this uh, last point and then a story. Um, brief. The bread of life rescues. Is that a good thing to know? The bread of life rescues. You want to know what the big point is today? Uh, when you leave and somebody says, hey, what did that guy talk about? Um, you know, don't say, oh, man, something about Indians or something. I don't know, it's cool. Really great. And they had a bald-headed picture of our pastor. And don't say that. Uh, say this. Here's, when somebody says, what, what, what was that? Here's a very simple point. Jesus Christ meets your deepest needs forever. For the searching heart in need of a Savior, Jesus Christ meets your deepest needs forever. For the Christian who is a pilgrim in this world, who is, who is muscling through, who's trying to make it, who's trying to go another day, Jesus Christ meets your deepest needs forever. He meets your needs. He's the bread of life. Um, you know, every once in a while on the news, you'll see a fire in some building. And uh, it'll be like the fourth story, and uh, there's a lady trapped up there, and uh, the fire's really moving along, and she's leaning out the window as far as she possibly can, and her nose is black from breathing the smoke, and she's got a thing over her face, and, and uh, the fire's getting closer, and it's just getting, it's getting real dangerous. And she's looking down four stories, and she's looking back at the fire, and she's going, this pretty serious. And then some good uh, folks down there uh, get a blanket, and they all gather around the blanket, and they're, they're going... We're here. <laughs> when you do it, and you're going to, uh, here we are. We're going to catch you. Well, wouldn't that be scary? I mean, looking down four stories, and you're like, okay, I see them, but I'm neighbors with that guy, and he's really not very bright. You know? I mean, he's got the corner, you know. I mean, you're, you're looking down, analyzing it, four stories. Everything about you is fighting, uh, f- jumping four stories. I mean, everything about this, this per- is, against, is against human nature. But then the fire gets closer and closer and closer, and the person comes to a point where they just can't do it. And have you seen that kind of thing on the news where they just kind of step out and they're like, they never fall well either. It's not like, okay, catch me. It's always like, okay, you know, and they just fall terribly, and and, uh, they're usually caught. But at some point, they look back and they go, "This this is it. That is my only Option. My only option is to step off this ledge by faith and go, well, okay. Well, Jesus says to the disciples, the twelve, the twelve, in verse 67, you do not want to leave too, do you? And Simon Peter in verse 68 answers. He speaks for the group and he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You 
have the words of eternal life. Hey, uh, warm-hearted listener, I don't know where you stand spiritually. I don't know if you've ever come to a saving faith in the Lord Jesus, but maybe you're, maybe you're a warm-hearted listener in that, in that regard. Or maybe you're a Christian and life is difficult and there's confusion and hurt and questions, and, but, but maybe your heart is warm. Hey, warm-hearted believer, jump. Jump. And um, the, the hunger uh, ends. The hunger ends uh, in the person of the bread of life. Lord Jesus, we praise you and, and marvel at who you are. Uh, we submit to you and we call you our king. And uh, we, we recall again in our hearts that you're the bread of life, that uh, you make hunger go away, you quench thirst, uh, you meet our deepest need, and you answer the questions of how we can package this um, fallen world and our, our it, it seems like, hourly discovery of how fallen it really is. And so my prayer, Lord, is that uh, for each person in here, I, I pray that you would indeed warm hearts. And that you would take us each in your own way and in your own timing and in the power of the Holy Spirit to a place where we can step up to the ledge in our respective situations, look, back, look down on the ground and, and see uh, the Savior ready to catch. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.